be a little chilly to sit out there and watch the Cubs and Dodgers today, wouldn't it? Yes. Very chilly. Where do you draw the line? I draw the line. I know well, you're normally in the plush press box. Yeah, so it's it's, it's different now as a uh, as a hoi polloi fan. Uh, I would draw the line at about forty. Yeah, that's that's too cold to sit out there. Yeah. I, I've sat out in colder. I mean, uh, opening day, nineteen ninety eight. I think it was thirty five yeah. or thirty four. Yeah, first pitch. Yeah, I've done that on opening day, sitting yeah. there thinking. I'm going to have a good time if it kills me. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes it almost has. And that felt like it was going to. Yeah. Sitting there trying to enjoy a cool beverage when it's... <laughs> when it's 36 outside. Yeah, I yeah. feel bad for the beer vendors on days like today. Although I'm sure people will still manage to uh, partake in a Consume. couple here and there. Yeah, no. Consume. Shwani, did you get a haircut? <laughs> yes, I got them all cut, as they used to say. <laughs> I did finally get a haircut. It's nice. Thank you. Thank you. I've had a number of compliments. I, by this time of the morning, I have what we call headphone hair, where right. it's all matted down from wearing headphones. All yeah, morning. I haven't had that in quite a few decades. <laughs> <laughs> I remember headphone hair. Good old headphone hair. Did you play checkers with Floyd after you got your haircut? <laughs> no, he uh, he had hey, uh, other Shwani, customers. Shwani, come and, come and sit in the chair. Apple give, dumpling give coming nice in haircut. at 10 to 1. <laughs> Some of the boys are just playing checkers. (laughs) Oh, have you heard about that shop in Raleigh? It has three chairs. I saw it be be this morning. That's a fine one, Aunt. I wonder why he never hooked up with Aunt B. Floyd? Floyd? Was Floyd married? He, he was, Floyd and then the he was a widower, and then he had kids, and then you didn't hear about it. So, you know, it was just one of those... Um, he had a daughter, didn't he? He had a son. Had a son. When they had like a talent show or yes, something. Yes, right. He and he had the kid play Saxomania on his saxophone. There. <laughs> saxomania. Do you have any idea what we're talking about, Andy? Not a clue. Not a we clue. lost you completely. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. I enjoy the audience, being in the audience here. <laughs> uh, you're going to really like what I have coming up in just oh. a minute. <laughs> Shwani, I've got uh, extra, I think I know what it is. I have an extra special treat for <laughs> at least you and I. I don't know if anybody <laughs> else is going to enjoy treat. Oh, is Andy, it? should we expect an announcement oh. Oh, from you and Helen? It's, uh, it's all coming up in a few minutes. <laughs> You don't stand up, all right? I don't see if there's an egg in the chair. <laughs> genius. Why don't you say compl- when you come busting in on people? Complete and utter genius. The great Don Knotts <laughs> with uh, Andy Griffith on uh, the Andy Griffith Show. We're going to talk with Don Knotts' daughter. Really? Later in the show today. She's coming to Chicago. She's coming to the Chicago area. She does a one-woman show honoring her dad, the great Don Knotts. And uh, we'll learn about the show, and we'll learn about what it was like growing up with with Barney. <laughs> Barney is your cock-a-doodle-doo. <laughs> I may start the show that way from I th- now on. You know what? I was I actually was thinking just that, yeah. listening to that. You know, just we can do a segue from the Earth, Wind, and Fire song right. just into cock-a-doodle-doo. <laughs> <sighs> 
Andy, well, you do it again. It's going to be a long morning for you, Andy. <laughs> okay. I had to explain to him about Floyd and the Sun. Well, and I remember the Floyd. Show. Yeah, I don't remember the talent, the talent show, show. Like that, yeah. where the stranger came to town, right? And everybody, because he requested a TV, uh, everybody thought that he was a big uh, Showtime producer, TV, TV producer. producer. Right. Actually, right. he was a traveling shoe salesman, right? Right. And so, uh, but everybody know, came. Up everybody to came his, up to the room, his hotel and, room, and, right? Auditioned for. Yep. It. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Andy, it's going to be a really, really long morning for you. <laughs> okay. I'm good. Now you're confusing me. Every time you say Andy, I'm thinking Andy. Amazing. Andy. Should we start calling Andy Mazer? Ange? Ange? <laughs> I have a couple of people that have done that in the years past. I never understood. And that. I didn't understand it either. I, guess, I mean, I, why wouldn't you call him And? Yeah. Well, I don't know. That's a good. That's a good question. Well, I mean, and maybe doesn't make any sense. One of the mayors called him Andrew. Andrew. Well, that yes. you get. But where do you get and? Where do you get the the short of Andy as being and? I don't know. It's just hey, Ange. Ange. Of course, they are they are childhood friends. Mm-hmm. But in the in the early episodes, they were cousins. Cousins. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. As I say, Andy, it's going to be a really long morning. <laughs> I'm ready. I have a couple of things I can do here. Do we want to talk about Barney's cousin <laughs> can Virgil? Andy, can we get Andy some Sudoku uh, books? Yeah, <laughs> see a little Wordle action going on here. Let's okay. talk about cousin Virgil. <laughs> cousin Virgil, who broke everything. He broke everything. He's yeah, clumsy. Tried to tried to do good and only could be clumsy. And then and then sanded down the keys to the jail cells so much they couldn't open and get Otis out of the out of the cell. Good old Otis. Yeah, that's kind of my long, dog. It's kind of a long morning for me already. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't have a feeling I'm going to regret doing this. <laughs> that nagging feeling. Oh, I'm going to have some stuff for some things for you too, sir. Well, uh, here we go. Coming up. <laughs> Let me tell you exactly. Karen Knotts is her name. Yes, Karen. Knotts. When is she going to be on? She'll be on at ten fifteen this morning. Ten fifteen. Yep. A little less than an hour. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Wonderful. So get your Don Knotts questions ready, Andy. <laughs> okay, I'm ready. Ange. Ange. Hey, Ange. What's up? You know, I realized uh, when I was getting things ready here this morning, and I know many of you go, you actually spent time preparing the show. <laughs> I know that's a shock to most people. But I was preparing some things, and I realized that this week, it might be today, is my anniversary here on WGN Radio. Really? It I, might be today? You don't know be. the exact date? I don't know the exact date, no. Really? It would, for the first Sunday show, you mean? Uh, no, when I... Well, uh, when you actually started at I WGN. first started oh. on WGN in 1994. Uh, 94. Hmm. So this would be my... This, it, it's sometime right around now, right around the 20th. 17th wow 21st next that means next year your 30th anniversary 30th anniversary nice excellent yeah we need we need to have a party and and i'll tell you what we need to do the show at a at the location of your choice on your 30th anniversary here at WGN. I've been suggesting places to do the show okay then pick a place 29 years i've been suggesting We have the bowling alley. We have kayaking on the Chicago River. Right. We have the Lincoln Museum in Springfield. Yeah, I know. So, yeah, well, Ishnala Supper Club. Jess Rains, yeah. our producer, just said Ishnala Supper Club. It's a random pick. Yeah. But, sure. Why not? Mm-hmm. 
What well, what she said. She just said tree time, but that's that's a tradition. That's a tradition. No, we we yeah. need to do something special for we the may have a special, 30th anniversary. We, we may have a special tree time surprise, by the way. You mean before we do tree time this year? Before or? the traditional, just before the holidays special. Okay. We may have some another tree time announcement to make. Okay. Good. Very good. So we'll see. Cool. Got a lot brewing. Got a lot brewing around here. We really do. Yes, we do. I actually had to go on Wikipedia to look up myself. You're on Wikipedia? Because I uh, I wasn't sure of the year. A lot of people keep track of all the, you know, they're, they're like meticulous about keeping track of oh, wow. anniversaries and things Here like that. Here you are. Yeah. Man. Yeah, I'm there. Dean Richards is an American film critic and entertainment reporter for WGN-TV yeah. and a longtime radio host yeah. for WGN in Chicago. Yeah. Some of it's true. <laughs> Years active, 1975 well, to the present. What? Fabulous. No wonder I'm so tired. <laughs> I think I have a That's Wikipedia awesome. page, too. Is Andy? Yeah, I think I do. Let's see. Let's uh, let's uh, I'll check it. Shwani, what's your uh, Wikipedia page? I don't have one. Are you sure? I'm sure. I could start one for you. No, yeah, not you. Not you. <laughs> you have. We should. You have something here from um, KUVO. What's KUVO? Kuvo. Oh, uh, you know that's what a, I'm talking about. Yeah, I know. I do know what I'm talking. We're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yes. What? I do know. What, a, what is Never it? mind. Are you moonlighting? <laughs> <laughs> yes, moonlighting in Vermont. There's a nice picture of you with uh, headphones around your neck. The, with no headphone hair. The traditional uh, photo of uh, DJs everywhere. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Where you like, it, it appears as though you just turn away from the microphone for a moment, and you put the headphones around your neck. It looks like a bad neck brace, actually. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, this is uh, this is Richards here. began his career in radio in 1975, holding a variety of jobs in Chicago at stations like WLTD. Right. WLTD. Oh, you worked at CGO? I didn't know then. In w- well, it, well, it was WLTD. WLTD. When I was Dan. There. Yeah. Okay. 1590 on your AM dial. Hey. Yeah, 1990. Richards joined WNUA. Do you know what the uh, at WLTD we played? Uh, what they call beautifully modern music. Was that what they called it? It was instrumental versions of like Beatles songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, instrumental versions of rock and roll songs. But it was like the one hundred and one strings mm-hmm. music. Ray, yeah. Ray Conniff. <laughs> oh, I, I'm sure I can just hear you going. That was my first job. That was the first job. Yeah. You're listening to Dean Richards that, and beautiful music. Well, no, we had uh, the slogan of the station was the sound of the shore. Ooh. Because it was located in Evanston in the, on the North Shore. Ah, uh, okay. So it was the sound of the shore, and the owner of the station thought it would be clever to put a ship's bell in the in the studio. <laughs> uh. And every time you said the sound of the shore... You had to ring that ship's bell. Bong! <laughs> you needed a uh, a harbor whistle, too. A foghorn. Well, let me just tell you that 
I was uh, in my 20s then, and, you know, <laughs> maybe, maybe coming to work the next morning after being out. No, not you. Without all the same brain cells that I had. Not you. The day before. <laughs> Uh, and when you know, when you have a, you come into work with uh, a headache. Yep, it's not a good it, thing. Let's call it what it is. When just I, say it's a come headache. Hungover, you come in a hungover, a little hungover, and uh, every <laughs> five minutes you're ringing a ship's bell. Oh, wake up! <laughs> the sound of the shore. See, I had a I had a Sunday Bong. I had a Sunday morning shift in Peoria where I had to run. Casey's top forty off of vinyl. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And there were a couple of nights that I got in there at you know seven a.m. on Sunday, not functioning as well as I right. normally would function. And, and played side four instead no, of no, side one. I, I actually played one of the sides twice. Oh. <laughs> if it's so, if it sounded like a rerun, it was. And somehow I made up for it. I can't remember how I did it, but Boy, those early yeah. days. <laughs> yeah, good old WLTD. Got out of there as quick as I could. <laughs> <laughs> then I went to WMRO in Aurora, which I had a fantastic time there. I loved that. WMRO at the time, I, f- I think, is it called WBIG now? Oh, it might be, yeah. I think that's what it's called yeah. now. It's 1280 AM. Um, it was like a mini version of WGN. Johnny Putman uh, also worked there. Uh, that's where I first met Johnny Putman. Mm-hmm. And we, we did uh, talk shows. I did the morning talk show. And uh, she did the uh, midday, like right around noon. She did a three-hour talk show, and it was just—it was all talk. Which, hmm. That's where we learned our craft. Nice. And we didn't have to ring any damn ship bells. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best part. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that's where I learned uh, that production technique: ringing the bell. Ringing the bell. Not, a lot of young broadcasters don't know how to do that now. That's true. <laughs> Creating sound effects in the studio. Yeah, but that's where I, uh, I learned, because I couldn't remember what year I started here, uh, that it's been, tw- to this week is 29 years here on WGN Radio. Nice. Yeah. Here we are. Yeah, summer of 1994, Richards immediately became a fill-in host at WGN in Chicago. In December of 1994, the station gave him a Sunday afternoon program of his own. So it was Sunday afternoons before the mornings. Yep. All this reminiscing. Yeah. (laughs) You know me, I love living in the past. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing better. And you're always the one that's teasing me about that. (laughs) Because I, what, I don't... Because you do live in the past. (laughs) Uh, you know what's going to happen next? This is where you get your 29 years of experience. A younger broadcaster couldn't have, couldn't make a decision like this, last minute like this. But we're going to take a break and do the news. And then right after the news, we'll do the far-flung forecast. Oh, okay. Ooh, nice. Is okay. Right? After the news, yes. After the news. We need, need to make these switches on a dime here. Yeah, so. yeah we're, this, we're calling an audible right now. Okay. Uh, as we say in the world of sports. Yes, we do. And uh, I can handle that. <laughs> okay, good. All right, good. Haircut. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's all coming up. Your wonderful, powerful, uh, charming. Uh, yeah, really, that's all okay, I Okay, something's up here. I, I, <laughs> Dave Schwann. 
Thank you very much, Dean. Good morning, everyone. Get out your compasses, protractors, and various devices, because we're going to go to northwest Wisconsin today to Clear Lake, Wisconsin. Clear Lake, Wisconsin. Clear Lake, Wisconsin has a population of just over a 1,000, and it has a Clear Lake. No. Yes. Did you, did you understand that what I'm saying there? Gotcha. Did you get it, Ange? Oh, I got it now. You okay? Hey, good. I got it too, Andy. Oh, we went there. It's beautiful. Uh, I did some fishing there. <laughs> At any rate, Clear Lake, Wisconsin, Floyd is um, um, very a home of a very prominent individual, actually, and someone who uh, was very prominent in Wisconsin politics in the uh, late 60s and early 1970s, a gentleman by the name of Gaylord Nelson, hmm. birthplace Clear Lake, Wisconsin. He was not only governor of Wisconsin, but a U.S. senator, and in the late 1960s was very concerned about environmental issues and was the person who gave us Earth Day, which we observed yesterday and had various stories on Earth Day. And it was very heartening to see a lot of people out along the lakefront and in various places around the city cleaning up and uh, doing some good work for the environment and our parks there. But uh, I know I've, I've been uh, recycling the same jokes that I've been using for the last several years. That <laughs> I noticed yeah. that. I didn't want to say anything. But uh, at any rate, Gaylord Nelson, born in Clear Lake, Wisconsin, and they've got... Uh, a rather chilly day, but sunny skies up there. 32 degrees in Clear Lake, Wisconsin. Not enough people uh, named Gaylord these days. No, that's a name you don't hear uh, much uh, anymore. Gaylord Perry, a, f- a Hall of Fame pitcher. Well, that's true. Yeah. How old? But that was he? a long time ago. Yeah, how old would he be? Like in his, in his 70s or 80s, yeah. yeah. Gaylord Nelson would have been... What would um, a nickname for somebody um, named Gaylord be? I don't know. <laughs> Gail? Gail or... <laughs> or gay. Oh, gay, maybe, yes. <laughs> Mr. Nelson was born in uh, 1916. G- hey, GL. <laughs> Yo, GL. GL. What up, GL? <laughs> oh, so there you have it. Clear Lake, Wisconsin, 32 degrees today. All right, we'll get into our, our weekend health segment coming up next. Our weekend health segment with a special guest this week. If you watch our. WGN TV Morning News. You've seen Dr. Lauren Stryker many, many times uh, joining us and talking about the health issues of the day. Dr. Stryker is a professor at Northwestern University Medical School, the medical correspondent for the WGN Morning News. She is an author. She is the host of Dr. Stryker's Inside Information podcast. And uh, I know from personal experience a pretty good cook because when I'm getting ready to do my uh, weekly cooking segment on WGN, it's general. Uh, Doctor Stryker is generally a segment or two before me, so she's uh, you know waiting in the wings to go on while I'm preparing food, and we often uh, you know chat about uh, food and what are you cooking, and this is what I do. So uh, she brings uh, many many topics of expertise. Uh, to the table here this morning. Dr. Stryker, welcome to the show. Nice to have you with us. So nice to be here. I was kind of complimented yesterday when your producer called and said our normal doctor can't uh, be on. And I thought, oh, so what, I'm, I'm the abnormal doctor? <laughs> <laughs> 
apparently. It's always lovely to spend time with you. And one of my great disappointments in life is I never get to eat that delicious food that I watch you making. I wish I could. Right, right, right. Because it's not quite finished usually when you're when you're uh, in the, in the zone. Or Larry and Robin have swooped in, and uh, you know. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that none of them ate any food at all last last week. Last Wednesday, I made a, a pasta dish with pesto made out of asparagus, and it just had a lovely light asparagus taste, uh, and it was so delicious. And I have never seen people eat food like they were eating the asparagus pesto last week. I think you would have enjoyed. That so good. Did you put pine nuts in it? I did put I put pine nuts in it. I put yeah. uh, olive oil in it. I put uh, a little, a couple of handfuls of fresh spinach, but it was mostly uh, fresh asparagus that I just very quickly, lightly blanched and uh, turned it into this. Well, I, I finally cream. have learned the trick of throwing it into ice water. Because I, right. I love to make asparagus, and if you make it a little bit in advance, especially if you're having company, there's nothing worse than soggy, limp right. asparagus, yep. right? Yep. So I finally learned the trick that you plunge it into the ice water. Yep, yep. It, shock, and then you can, it uh, shocks it and uh, keeps it. Shocks it, it. Turns it nice and green, and, uh, you know, you're, you're all set. Yes. Well, normally we talk, uh, you know, this, this segment started uh, three years ago with COVID. And it's evolved into talking about all kinds of different uh, health issues now. So, actually, I'm I'm glad you can uh, join us today. And I hope uh, whether or not our quote normal doctor uh, can be here <laughs> or not. I, I hope that you can join us with some regularity. Uh, you know, to bring uh, because you you always have fantastic health tips uh, when you join us on the morning news. But one of the things that I was so interested in uh, because we've done so many stories on women not getting uh, routine health examinations, uh, self yeah. re- health examinations, mammograms, uh, you know, all the, all the things that women should be doing during the pandemic because it was mostly uh, televisits uh, during that time. And I wonder if that has picked up at all. And I wonder if that's changed and how important it is for women to get in there and do those routine checks. Well, sadly, we have not seen a huge return to those in-office visits for for a variety of reasons. And and quite frankly, you know, women very often don't go to the doctor routinely for a, quote, well-woman visit anyway. They go if they need contraception. They go if they're pregnant. They go as they get older if they're having specific problems. But the idea of going to your doctor to have a routine gynecologic exam particularly is really the, the numbers are way, way down. And part of this is, is insurance. Even if you do have insurance, usually one well woman visit is, is covered. And if you're going to take your pick when you're 50 or 60, it's generally not going to be the gynecologist. It's going to be an internist or a family medicine doctor. And quite frankly, the belly button to the knees has become somewhat of a no-fly zone. So, so they're not getting routine gynecologic exams. And to your point, when we look at screening tests, such as mammography, et cetera, they're not getting that either. Uh, either they are just, it's not on their radar, or as you said, you know, nobody wants to go. They're so used to televisits. And, and we are starting to see the repercussions of this. We're seeing increase in uh, cervical cancers. We're seeing increase in uh, breast cancer that's being detected at a later stage because they're not getting early detection. 
We are seeing one of the other big things in the news is an increase in sexually transmitted infections because people are not going to the doctor. And what's the the rule now for mammograms? Because it uh, it seems like over the last twenty or thirty years, it's changed a little bit. The age at which women should go to get mammograms. What, what in a perfect world, yeah. if, if women were going, what is what is the correct time to go? Yeah, well, so that's one of the confusions is that we have different medical organizations that are coming out with different recommendations. And so in a low-risk women, for the most part, most people say you should start to get an annual mammogram at age 40. Uh, some some uh, professional organizations come out and say, no, you can wait until you're 50. So there's that confusion. But the bigger confusion, quite frankly, is when do you stop because women are very often told you don't need to get a mammogram after a certain age, say 60, 65. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't make a lot of sense because what really makes sense is to look at the individual. There's a big difference between a 75 or an 80-year-old who, quite frankly, doesn't have long to live because they've got a lot of other medical problems right. versus the person who's, who's healthy and vigorous and you think they're going to continue to be great for another 10, 15, 20 years. Well, that person should get their mammogram because you do want to detect a breast cancer that may end up reversing their, their good health. So it is so individual, but you are so correct, Dean. It gets very confusing because not only do the recommendations change, but they vary from society to society. Yeah, what uh, your response to that just brought back so many memories. My mom, I think she was about eighty, maybe eighty-two, something, felt a lump and uh, went went and got had it checked and it tested and so forth, and she did have uh, breast cancer. And the the doctors said, "We're just going to keep an eye on this. We're not going to do anything about it." Which you know, when you hear cancer right away, you know, you think get this out of me, get get rid of it. But she said, "Your mom is you know eighty two. This is not going to this is not going to be the thing that kills her uh, because of her age. You know, everything I guess was you know slows down. Uh, never did uh, manifest itself in, into anything." And and that's an important point because cancer is a very scary word, but there's cancers and there's cancers. And certainly we have cancers that can be very aggressive and can spread very quickly and others that are very slow and very indolent. And it's totally appropriate to just watch and wait and see before you jump in with aggressive treatment. Right. Yeah. And is exactly what we did. So maybe one of the top medical stories of the week has been the issue of the uh, so-called abortion pill. Um, yeah. Can, can you talk about what this is a little bit and what this means yeah. if it so, becomes unavailable? Uh, uh, what, what does it mean to women and making choices yeah. for themselves? Yeah. So, the, so the pill specifically is methoprostone, and this has been around, uh, it's been FDA approved for years now. And there's really two aspects to this. One is what it means for the courts to overturn a drug that's gotten FDA approval. Just what does that mean in a general sense? And then, of course, what does it mean specifically with, with this pill? So if we talk first about just the general, is it okay for the court to come in and overturn what the FDA has approved? And this is really frightening because they're, the people behind this, of course, are doing it for political reasons because they're anti-choice. But if they are suddenly, if this is a new precedent that's set, that they can just come in and overturn the science, that they can overturn what the FDA has very, very carefully vetted before it puts it out there to the public. Well, this sets the precedent for other drugs. I mean, someone else can come along and say, well, you know, Viagra, 
Viagra wasn't was only tested in a couple thousand men and it has all kinds of nasty side effects and it's killed people and, and let's just have some judge decide to take that off the market. So to me that's quite frankly and I'm very, you know, pro reproductive rights and pro choice. But in this case, to me, the bigger issue is that we have the courts coming in and suddenly saying that they have the ability to overturn a drug and what that's going to mean in terms of healthcare in general. But specifically for methapristone, to, to your point, this is not just about reproductive rights. This is about women's health. This is really frightening because this particular medication is not only used to very safely and effectively terminate an undesired pregnancy uh, early on, but it's also used for other medical conditions, such as a tubal pregnancy, an ectopic pregnancy, or even a miscarriage. And so now women are suddenly going to be in a position where their doctor's hands are tied and they may be bleeding. They may have a life-threatening tubal pregnancy that can rupture, and suddenly their doctor says, sorry, I can't do anything, or I need to do surgical, so surgical procedure, which is, is far, far riskier. So in addition to really, really limiting um, the ability to get a, a safe early abortion, this is also going to have an enormous impact on women's health. And, and that's really frightening. It's also kind of interesting, though. This is, to my knowledge, and I'm, I'm not a lawyer, of course, but to my knowledge, this is the first time that someone was able to try and overturn something that has gone to the states and is you know, making it basically a national mandate. And it's, quite frankly, very clever on their part to have gone to the FDA because that was really a workaround to not have to go state by state to limit women's reproductive rights. Yeah. So I, I didn't know um, too much about scary. I didn't know too much about the you know the the, the X's and O's of the medication itself. But what uh, was a red flag to me that came up during the week uh, with all these discussions were non medical people making medical decisions. Right. Uh, exactly, and that's you know regardless of the medication, do you want a bunch of politicians deciding? You know, things that doctors should be, doctors and scientists should be making decisions. Well, exactly, exactly. And Dean, that was my first point. That yeah, right. if, you, if we put aside the whole issue about reproductive rights and women's health, it's just the idea. I mean, it'd be kind of like if the judges came in and said, you know, we don't like how the FAA is deciding how planes are going to fly. Oh. So we're going to change that, you know how the pilot flies the plane. And it's like, what? Are you kidding? You know, this is not your area of expertise. Right, right. You or can't just we don't, change we don't the like science. This, we you don't, can't weigh in on this. Yeah, we don't like this diabetes medicine. We don't like this heart medication, uh, you know, for whatever, yeah, for whatever yeah. reason. Right. It's, it's, it just seems like medical but, but just, and science. Just to be people, clear. Yeah. The, absolutely. But I, but I do want to be clear that methapristone, um, according to every single physician, scientist, the FTA, the FDA, this drug is safe. It is effective. It is quite frankly, it's used in over 50% of elective abortions, early abortions. These are very, very early pregnancy terminations. Um, and they, they, they start talking about, you know, the psychological issues. I mean, quite frankly, it's been studied every day from Wednesday and has been shown that the only psychological issue that women have post-abortion is relief. Um, and, and this is not controversial. You know, we have solid hard science we have good numbers and this is not a dangerous drug this is a safe drug and and what people forget is if you look at the risk of pregnancy pregnancy is dangerous pregnancy is very dangerous the the risk of, of dying or having a serious complication from pregnancy particularly 
in this country. I mean, the thing that is, is astonishing is that the states that have the worst abortion laws, the most restrictive abortion laws, are also the states that have the highest maternal mortality and the poorest coverage of of uh, like preterm babies and pediatric care. So, you know, the agenda is clearly not health. The agenda are from health as can be. And these states would be well served to address the egregious maternal mortality that we are seeing, particularly among black women. Uh, Dr. Lawrence Stryker is with us uh, this week, answering your questions at 312-981-7200. A text from the 815 area code. Uh, Please discuss the age of women no longer needing gynecological exams. Why not after age 60, as is recommended now? Yeah, Um, the age when they should stop getting gynecologic exams is when they die. Um, Now, granted, I have a little bit of a skewed point of view, but this is something I actually talk about quite a bit because, you know, again, women off over the age of 65 are are often just minimized in terms of the importance of bladder health, sexual health, um, heart health. All of these things are actually tied into gynecologic health. And the internists are not doing public exams. Let's be real clear. You know, they, the American College of um, Physicians, which is the internist organization, came out about eight, nine years ago and said that a woman doesn't need to have a gynecologic exam unless she has a problem. And no problem you know, doesn't mean anything if someone doesn't know they have a problem. Someone needs to look and see. But be that as it may, the internists were all thrilled with this because it meant they could throw out their speculums and not do exams. And and women are being harmed by this because by the time they start to have a severe problem, they come to us and it's something that could have been detected in its early stages years ago. And even particularly when we look at PAP tests for the screen for cervical cancer and there's, you know, this new um, recommendation that over age of 65, women don't need pap tests. Well, now we're seeing the repercussions of that, and we're seeing an increase in cervical cancer in women over the age of 65 and vulvar cancers and vaginal cancers. And in fact, on my podcast, I did an episode about four or five years ago with someone from the U.S. task force who'd been setting that recommendation. And I said, so did you guys mess it up? Were you wrong? And she said, yeah, we were wrong, you know, in this no over 65, no exam. So um, the question is a great question because it is confusing and women are given misinformation. And I think they need to be examined. Yeah. 262 area code says uh, stop pushing only mammography uh, for breast exams. Start pushing thermography. What's the difference between the two? I don't I don't think I've ever I, even I heard of the difference. Thermography, you haven't heard of it because it's completely worthless with all due respect to the to the caller. Um, there is no medical organization that condones it. It is absolutely not beneficial. It has not been effective in, in terms of early detection. And every single physician um, in, in this world comes out strongly recommending against it. People make money very often by pushing things that have not been shown to be effective, um, and thermography is in that category. And this isn't my opinion. This is the opinion of every single medical organization that is involved in early detection of breast cancer. So um, mammography is not perfect. Certainly there are issues with mammography. Uh, it is meant to be screening. It's not meant to be a definitive diagnosis. And right now it's the best that we have at early detection. And early detection is how we save lives from breast cancer. 773 area code says, is there a link between hypothyroidism and, ha- and ha- having previous COVID. Is there a link between hypothyroidism 
and having previous COVID? Not to my knowledge, but I will also say that while I do follow what's going on in the in the COVID world, um, I did not always know some of these smaller studies that have come out looking at things such as that. But to my knowledge, there is not a link. Okay. All right. Very good. Well, that answers that question. And uh, hey, there's your first segment. I thought it went really well. What do you think? That's it. We're done. We're done. But I didn't get to talk about all this other stuff. <laughs> it goes fast. It, go, it, goes. it always is. But you know what? But, but the other thing, also, Dean, is I also appreciate. You know, when I do the news, I have like three minutes, four minutes at best. And so often I have a topic that I really want to get into more detail and talk about, and that's just not the way it works. So I always love when we can take a little more time and do a little bit deeper dive into these topics. Yeah, we've, we, we did a deep dive into quite a few things here today. I thought it was really interesting. Mm-hmm. And next time, yeah. next time we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get more things that you sent us on the list. Dr. Lauren Stryker, professor at Northwestern, mm-hmm. and uh, you see her uh, regularly on WGN-TV Morning News. Really appreciate your time. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you uh, this week, I hope. Uh, this week, I will be seeing you on Wednesday, 9-15. Very good. We'll see you then. Thank you. Pretty sad news about Bed Bath & Beyond, huh? Yeah, going uh, filing for bankruptcy there. Been around a long time. I got an email this morning, and I'm on their, their mailing list. And I got an email, you know, explaining, you know, that they're going to be shutting down and... Uh, you know, the we can't return things after a certain time, and you know, it made me sad. Yeah, I've been going there for yeah. years. I have two. I have two. I uh, well, there was one up um, on the in the River North area there that uh, I went to uh, quite a while, and then there's one close to the South Loop area also. So you know, there's handy locations. Very handy. Mm-hmm. A lot of my kitchen tools. Kitchen tools. I've bought I've uh, towels, towels and things right. like that. Yep. Sure. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. I don't know where I'm going to go get my turbans from now on. <laughs> my terry cloth turban I like to step out of the shower with. <laughs> oh, there's a picture right there. If only I had some hair to put under it, that would be. And the bigger question, what am I going to do with about 5,000 20% off coupons that I have? <laughs> right, the ones that uh, they would send you every month in the mail there. Yeah. I used to get three a day. Right, <laughs> it was crazy. Right, Three a day. Yeah, <laughs> I think they had like Andrew, Andy, you know. Ange. Did yeah. they have? They Ange? didn't have not had Ange. No. Ange, no. Andy had a big scam going. Oh, okay, I did. <laughs> He's trying to get twenty percent off razors. That's how he furnished his first apartment. <laughs> uh-huh. Exactly. <laughs> the Bed Bath and Beyond scam. <laughs> Here's the Bed Bath and Beyond room. <laughs> I think we all have those. Anyway, sad to see uh, yeah. any business shutting their doors very sad um so coming up in a few minutes Shwani, i know the I'm daughter looking of, forward to it the daughter of don knotts i'm looking forward to it yes and i you know this is the first i'd heard she's doing a show here yeah that's great downers grove next saturday that's great one, one woman show excellent are you going to fanboy out when I uh, <laughs> oh, remember when your dad said citizens arrest? <laughs> citizens arrest. Remember when he called I'm Gomer sure she's a boob? heard all of those all the time. <laughs> Let's try to not to embarrass no, ourselves. No, we won't. We won't. And I'm talking about we you won't. and me. Andy, <laughs> yeah, right. Andy, you may have to Ange, take over you this can, interview. You can okay. do the show. Right. Yes. Shwani and I are going <laughs> to choke on nervousness. <laughs> it's the daughter of Don Knotts. I can't believe it. The great Don Knotts. I mean, there is no other word except pure genius. 
the man that we uh, probably know best is Deputy Sheriff Barney Fife from The Andy Griffith Show, a role for which he won five Emmy Awards. Uh, you may also remember him from lead roles in motion pictures like The Ghost and Mr. Chicken, The Incredible Mr. Limpet, and uh, many others, and of course, later as Ralph Furley on the highly rated sitcom uh, Three's Company from 1979 to 1984. Don Knotts' daughter, Karen Knotts, uh, has put together a one-woman show that's called Tied Up in Knotts, which will be coming into the Chicago area and playing at the Classic Cinema's Tivoli Theater in beautiful Downers Grove to uh, talk about her dad. And Karen, it's a real pleasure to have you with us today. Welcome to WGN. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. So uh, I'm just so curious what it was like growing up with this comic legend uh, as your father. Uh, As I've talked to people over the years, you know, the the children of famous people, it's almost as if you wouldn't even recognize that, you know, it was a a completely different person at home in many cases. Was that the the case in, in your house? Yes, it absolutely was. Um, but the f- funny thing is, my father was really funny in a completely different way from Party Five. Um, he and it was so funny because, like, we'd be at dinner in a restaurant, and I'd see people notice him, and I'd be watching to see are they going to come over? You know, that they would be discussing. Should we go over and talk right, to him? Right. And they would come over, and he would just turn and just just beam this incredible smile on them, and they would be like. So stunned because they were expecting this goofy guy like Barney Fife to jump up and do all this antics, you know. Yeah. But my father was such a charming man in real life and very sophisticated. He had his own kind of humor, which was very unique as well. Yeah. How would you describe that? His, he had a sort of a deadpan delivery. <laughs> He studied the English, he loved the English music hall comedians, and he loved British humor. So he watched a lot of English television. Hmm. Like, one time we were sitting at the airport, and he said, Karen, you see that woman sitting over there? And I looked, and he was indicating it. This woman was so old, she had this, like, her face was just sagging. I said, yes, Dad, what about her? He goes, she died yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) That that was his kind of humor. It was just this sort of ironic, <laughs> really, you know, satiric mind that he had. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we all grew up with the Andy Griffith Show, either in first run. You know, some of us are old enough to remember it in uh, its original run. But it's, since it's pretty much been in reruns ever since, you know, virtually everyone uh, knows the Andy Griffith Show knows uh, Barney Fife, your dad, the different characters on the show. How, how does that place with you? I mean, were you a, a child when all of this was happening and dad would go off to work to do episodes of, right. of the Barney Fife Show? I was show? about seven years old when my father took me to the set the first time. And I was I was just so amazed that all the, the sets were, like, fake. I thought Mayberry was a real town until I was 12, pretty much. I mean, until I went to the set, rather. And um, I looked around and I said, Dad, you are a great actor to make everything so fake seem real. (laughs) And he said, 
That's because I don't have any fake talent. If you're looking for fake talent, you have to go over to Screen Gems. Oh, <laughs> oh that's funny. <laughs> that's funny. So you, you must be about the same age then as Ron Howard was. Little Ronnie. We are the same age. Yeah, Ron, we are the little same age. Ronnie Howard. Mm-hmm. Uh, were, were you able to bond with him when you would visit the set that there was somebody your age uh, who was right there? Yes, he took me around and he showed me things. I do talk about this in the show. Um, what he was explaining to me about a dartboard that he that my dad and Andy played darts when they were waiting for a setup, and he said they made bets and Andy always won. Interesting. <laughs> so, yeah, he talked about rehearsal. You know, and we were we were seven year old kids, but he was like an adult to me. I'm not an, not really like an adult, but he seemed a lot more serious than you know the kids I knew. Sure, working professional, of course. You know, little yeah. little did we know he'd grow up and win an Oscar someday. <laughs> <laughs> so I know it. And Frances Bavier, she was completely different. Yeah. What, um, what, you know, she had been a Broadway actress, so she was a very serious actress originally, you know. Yeah. Who do, who do you remember, you know, most most fondly of the, the grown-up uh, actors? I, I would have to think that Jim Neighbors must have been a hoot uh, as Gomer Pyle or... Uh, you know, mm-hmm. How, Howard Morris, Ernest T. Bass must have been, he, he seemed so childlike to begin with anyway. He was another one that was more serious than I thought, really? but who I really bonded with was Betty Lynn. Oh. She was just an absolute doll. Thelma Lou, I right? I didn't anyone as sweet as her in real life. She, she had been working since she was a, a kid. I mean, she starred in two movies with Betty Davis when she was a teenager, so she was. She had her chops, and she had experience. But to be around her, she was so sweet and kind and fun. And I didn't really get to know those people until I started going to Mayberry Days. That's the festival that goes on in North Carolina every single year. Uh-huh. Started in the 1990s. And all of these actors would make return appearances to this Mayberry Days festival. And that's where I got to know Betty Lynn and Maggie Peterson, who played Charlene Darling. And a lot of the other people, Ronnie Shell goes there every year still. Mm-hmm. And so I got to sit with them at lunch, and they would talk about the show. And the funny thing I found out is that many of them never met each other during the show when they were filming because their scenes were at different times. Right. But they met each other at Mayberry Days Interesting. Um, for the first time, many of them. Interesting, because they were shooting different scenes at different times. Somebody might mm-hmm. be in one scene but not another and never get to meet all the people that we think of as, you know, neighbors down the street in, in, uh, exactly. in Mayberry. Yeah. yeah, Yeah, you think of them as all being those real people because they play them so brilliantly. I need to uh, take a quick break, but when we come back, I want to talk more about uh, your dad as Barney Fife. I want to learn more about what you're doing in this one-woman okay. show, Tied Up in Knots, that'll be at the Tivoli Theater in Downers Grove next Saturday. Uh, Karen Knotts, the daughter of Don Knotts, with us today. Don Knotts' daughter, Karen Knotts, is bringing her one-woman show, Tied Up in Knotts, to the historic Tivoli Theater in Downers Grove next Saturday. Karen, what what do you do during the show exactly? I talk about um, everything. I talk about growing up with my dad and about him being on the show, the Andy Griffith Show, and I talk about me going to Beverly Hills High School, which was um, it's kind of a difficult time in my life and a really interesting period between my dad and me because 
he was trying to help me, and he was having his own struggles. And then at the time, he was on variety shows. He actually had his own variety show, the Don Knox show, and he put me on the show. So that was a really sweet moment, too, between us. And just the whole thing is our relationship and how much fun it was. And we have this great daughter, father-daughter relationship, and he included me in everything. Uh, 773 Area Code on our text line asks, did you ever do a cameo on the Andy Griffith show? I did not. At that point, my dad didn't want me to do any acting at all. He thought I was too young and thought it was not a good, you know, life for a child. And uh, I said, well, (laughs) he said, you don't want to go into show business. It's a lonely life for a child. And I thought, yeah, poor, lonely Ron Howard. (laughs) (laughs) He grows up and his only friends are Oscar and Emmy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Uh, the 630 area code uh, says, I remember Don Knotts as the nervous man on the street on the Steve Allen show. What a great character yes. that was that, you know, really kind of manifests itself into some of your dad's motion pictures. What, what do you, uh, I mean, that may have been before your time, because I think that was the mid-50s. But uh, I actually do remember those that period of watching my dad on live television. And I do talk about the nervous guy in the development of that at, that uh, that was a really fascinating era, the live TV show days. So I, I do talk about that quite a bit in the show at the beginning, and how um, how nervous my dad was. He was such a perfectionist, and in live TV, you only had one chance to right. get it right because the show aired at the same time it was being recorded. And and then the the sad part was he never got to watch the show. Right? <laughs> yeah, because there was no video. You know, no video tape back then right right yeah the occasional show would have been kinescoped as they call it literally filmed off of a television screen and that was the the only way to uh, see those back then what uh, did did you watch your dad uh, prepare and kind of hone his barney fife character rehearsing at home practicing at home uh, going through monologues some of these famous barney fife speeches and quirks and mannerisms Yes, I, I talk about that in the show and in my book. I wrote also a book about it, also called Tied Up in Knots, and I talk about, uh, you know, I wanted so much to be an actress already when I was that young, and my dad didn't want me to do it, so he would let me cue him. <laughs> that was the closest I got. I cued him on his lines, mm. and uh, so I got to hear him rehearse that in that way, where he would be he would be running through his lines. And another thing was, when he would learn his lines for his script, he would go into a study. So he didn't want anybody watching him, but I would stand outside the door and listen. Mm. And that's how I got to hear him trying out all the different shades of inflection that he would use. Um, and he, he was a relentless rehearser. I mean, he was, he, he was a beast about rehearsing, and he would just constantly be running lines even. And in those days, you know, they, they made a lot more shows. Right. Um, and per episode, I mean, per season, per season than they do now. Right. So they were already rehearsing for a second show while in one week of rehearsing, they were preparing for the next week's show. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I've had the pleasure of interviewing your dad uh, several times, and uh, he was just so charming and very humble. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I wonder how he felt about the Barney Fife persona. Some 
actors who have a role that's so identified with them want to kind of get away from it a little bit so they can do other things. Did he embrace Barney Fife, or was he happy kind of putting it aside when he moved on? Well, we never really talked about that, but I know he was very grateful for that role. It really brought him so many fans throughout his life. And one thing that he did get to do, all a lot of different roles, he did theater all the time. He was on tour. Whenever he wasn't doing TV and film gigs, he did theater, and he got to do all kinds of different roles in theater. They were all comedy, but that was the outlet. That, that gave him the outlet to do other kinds of characters. But then, of course, he went on to do Three's Company, and that gave him a different persona. Mm-hmm. He wasn't doing Barney Fife there. But he is, of course, best known for Barney Fife, and he he was very much tied into that role. But he, I noticed that he stopped doing interviews after a while because the same questions were always asked about sure. Barney Fife. Sure, of course. And he wanted to talk about other things uh, besides other things. Barney Fife. Yeah. What, what was uh, what was the the relationship between your dad and Andy Griffith? Uh, it seemed like they were as close off camera as they were on camera. They were. They were very close. In fact, he once said that somebody asked him, was like Andy like another brother? And he said, almost. Because he was very close to his brothers. My dad had three older brothers. But Andy Andy was very, like, brotherly towards him. And he was very protective towards him. And he just loved my dad so much. And I remember um, him, him just always being available for my dad. Uh, the uh, one-woman show is called Tied Up in Knots. It'll be at the Classic Cinemas Tivoli Theater in Downers Grove next Saturday at 10 a.m. Uh, come and hey, listen to Karen uh, Knots talk about her dad, Don Knotts, uh, live and in person. It's a real pleasure to have you on with us today, Karen. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Dean. I really appreciate you having me on. I thought for sure you were going to fire a question in for Karen. Ellis. I, you know, I, had I know you, maybe you didn't kinds, want didn't want to interrupt, whatever. But I didn't. But I, you know, I had so much enjoyment listening, and then you were uh, offering uh, people to call in and text in, and certainly wanted to hear from our listeners as well. But I just sat there and relaxed and enjoyed listening to her. It was delightful. Imagine being seven years old and being on the set of oh, the Andy wow. Griffith show. I know. And just hanging out with another kid named Ronnie Howard. Yeah. <laughs> right. Little, little Opie. Maybe some other, you know, other people that worked on the show might have brought their kids in as well. Sure. That was fun, you know. You want to run down to Walker's Drug Store and get a soda? <laughs> I'm going to get a licorice. <laughs> I, I have to say this also, though. She was talking about the fact that Andy, or rather Andy and Don Barney were were close in real life. And there's, a, there's one episode where where Barney kind of, you know, kind of gets in trouble uh, talking about Sheriff Taylor giving the car away for non-official use, and that as a, as a newspaper man was trying to frame Andy. And at a hearing, Barney testified, and, and there's a wonderful scene toward the end of that episode. Great monologue where he talks where he about. Where he says, no, Andy's my best yeah. friend in the whole world, right. and people of this town ain't got a better friend than Andy Taylor. You trying to make me cry, Sean? <laughs> That's the greatest. That's, that's one of the greatest scenes. Oh ever. yeah, you know, and then he concludes by saying, you know, he's been trying to teach me all along that not go not so much by the head, but by the heart. Are you done? Oh, <laughs> oh. 
Look at you. Look at you. Uh, well, you can tell that you've ta- we've tapped into uh, one of Schwani and I's <laughs> favorite topics. Is Andy even still awake? Three's, com- three's company. Three's company. Oh, this will wake oh, you up. You're, a mis- you're more of a Mr. Hurley. Mr. Uh, Furley. Yeah, I Mr. saw Furley. Mr. Yeah. Furley. Yeah. It was a tough job to, you know, replace the ropers, for goodness sake. <laughs> Man, he did, though, in spades, though, didn't he? Yes, he did. That was such a great character. And if I ever see, I don't, I don't, I, I haven't run across it in years, but if I ever see Incredible Mr. Limpet, or you haven't seen that? No, I have. But if, you ne- oh, you have. If, okay. it, but if I do, I stop whatever I'm doing, no matter what it. That it, and the ghost and Mr. Chicken. The ghost. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that on. Big and then screen. there are several Mayberry characters in that movie. Yeah, of course, that play cameo roles. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Yes, uh, we've tapped into something here. <laughs> yes, there are bloodstains on the keys, and they even use Bonami. <laughs> How sad is that that I can quote lines? Oh, my. <laughs> I saw that at the theater. I remember Did you? going to see that at the Shelton Theater in South Shore. I think I may have seen uh, Incredible Mr. Limpet at the theater. Dorks. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid idiot dorks. <laughs> They shouldn't give radio shows to people like us, really. <laughs> Time for our weekend theater segment. No Classic, whatever Lola wants, Lola gets. One of the many, many, many classic songs from the uh, theatrical production of Damn Yankees, which uh, first premiered back in 1955, believe it or not. Went on to win all kinds of Tony Awards, was made into a motion picture in 1967 and has uh, come back to a stage uh, several times most recently uh, get to critical acclaim and now Damn Yankees is being performed out at the Marriott Theater in Lincolnshire uh, and uh, is expected to play there until uh, June the 4th and joining us to talk about this seven time Tony Award winner for Best Musical is the show's director, James Vasquez. James, it's a pleasure to have you on the show with us. Welcome to WGN. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So talk to me a little bit about uh, stage staging uh, something that is uh, you know, so well-known, has been performed by so many people and given creative treatment uh, in so many different ways. Uh, and and now you know you have the responsibility of breathing some fresh life into it all again. Uh, what was that? Yeah. Uh, was it was that intimidating for you when you took this project on? Oh gosh, no. I mean, I I think it's an exciting challenge. Uh, it, it's a, a classic musical, as you said in your intro. Um, you know, from the fifties, and here we are now in two thousand twenty-three. So I think one of the the biggest challenges of it was um, how to make it relevant for today and how to honor the story that we know and love from the 50s, but um, also honor our culture in 2023. Um, You know, and I I think just the cast alone, this phenomenal cast that we have, brings beautiful energy, and you can't help but tell it through fresh eyes with this group of actors that we have and um they're they're go, yes, ahead. go ahead no no go go ahead i i didn't know if you were done i you know no they're 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 lovely and they uh, especially the um 
the women in our story. You know, this this story doesn't always look positively on women of that time period. And I think it was really important in our production to uh, hear the voices of the women and the um, the women in the cast to to have them share their thoughts on the story and and how we how we tell that in a positive light. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. Uh, you know, as the real Major League Baseball season is uh, getting underway, it's very timely that uh, a show like this would be on stage right now. But the Damn Yankees uh, go, goes deeper than that. There's something much more relatable and has been for, yes. I don't know, what, 50, 60 years, something like that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think, um, first of all, I, you know, my two loves in life are baseball and musical theater. So you put those two together, and I, I was, I'm on board. You're in heaven. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, but, you know, at the heart of it, I think Damn Yankees is about true love. Um, and it is about uh, thinking that the grass might be greener on the other side. But at the end of the day, really at home. At, you know, at home plate um, is where where the real love and life happens. And I think that's that we celebrate in that in our story. We celebrate the true love, um, you know, and we celebrate that a team can be the nine players on the baseball field or and it can be just that one special person by your side. I'm always fascinated by uh, the creative prowess of performers and the directors, uh, the lighting people, the choreographers, when they st- have to stage a show in the round, like the the Marriott is in uh, <laughs> Lincolnshire. What are what yes. are the what are the challenges to a director uh, for doing that? I love working in the round. It is uh, probably my favorite space to work in uh, because you know you 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 ask what the challenges are. I. I actually look at it as we we get to sort of make up our own rules sometimes. We get to break some theatrical rules that you have to follow on a proscenium stage, and uh, we get to live a little more freely. Um, now, there are the obstacles of you, you want to make sure you're sharing the story with audience members on all four sides of the space. But um, in this particular case, you know, we're... we're our stage is, though we say in the round, it's really a giant square or a diamond, if you want to look at it that way. Yeah. So it, in the case of Dan Yankees, we built a baseball field on that stage, and we referred to it, the corners, as first base, second base, third base, and home plate. Um, and, and it sort of freed us up in a lot of ways. I, I guess that makes a, a, a lot of sense, really, when you, when you think about it. I, a square stage in the round really is a, a diamond. Uh, yes, yeah. Off, off of which uh, to uh, make the story even more realistic. Yes, yeah. You know, and we. What I love about our our scenic design by Regina Garcia is uh, we step out into the audience. We've got some dugout benches on level with the first row, um, and we use them as stadium seats. As at one point, so it. it I like to think that the audience really gets to come to a stadium and see this this story, this musical story of baseball and love that we're telling. 
Talk to me a little bit about the cast that you've put together for this. My gosh. First of all, I, I am, I'm from San Diego. That's my, my home base. Uh, and this was my first time uh, working in the Chicago area. And, you know, you hear stories of um, Chicago actors and the community of Chicago actors and the ensemble-based work that they do. And you believe it, but you don't really fully understand it until you get to step into it. This, uh, this process, um, I have to say, was the most exciting and collaborative process that I think I've had ever. Uh, this group of actors, first of all, the talent, is unreal. Um, and, and the way they work together, the way they support each other, the way they want to tell the story in the best possible, clearest way they can, uh, has been like no other experience I've ever had. Um, you know, we're, we're led by um, uh, some phenomenal actors, some, a couple from New York, and then a lot of Chicago favorites. And to see them lift each other up while also taking command of their own performances um, has been exciting. And as a director, you want a group of actors who you can drop little hints and they will then take it and run with it and fill in the blanks. Mm -hmm. This group did that beyond my wildest dreams. I come in with very strong ideas and they took these ideas and made them bigger and better. It's yeah. really exciting. It's yeah. really exciting. And then the the design team, my choreographer Tyler Haynes, um, is is a storyteller as well as um, a choreographer. So his movement is not just fantastic dance, but storytelling. Yeah, it's, it's uh, we're yeah. we're we're very uh we're very lucky here in the Chicago area that we have uh such an amazing group of not not only uh you know singers, dancers, uh the uh, the actors, the performers, but uh directors and people who love working here and you know, have had opportunities to go to do shows elsewhere, but they love working in Chicago for all the reasons that you've just said. Uh, you know, the, oh, I can't wait to come back. Yeah. I can't wait to come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it's uh, you know the, the perfect season for uh, damn Yankees. That's for sure. Uh, yes, you, you want to uh, you know get out and see a little something that's about baseball with uh, some laughs and some heart and uh, some uh, classic songs you'll recognize instantly. Uh, speaking of heart, which uh, we're going to hear the the full song, you got to have heart uh, coming up in just a second here. But uh, you can see Damn Yankees out at the Marriott in uh, Lincolnshire uh, through June the fourth. June fourth, yep, we're there until June fourth. Yeah, and uh, you know you can uh, get tickets by calling the box office, which is eight four seven six three four zero two hundred. Or if you go to tickets.marriottheater.com, uh, you can get all the information on that. James, it's a real pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you so much for joining us. And, Likewise. Uh, thank you. I hope you have uh, a great time, and I hope we can give you some San Diego weather while you're here. Uh, and, <laughs> it's been gorgeous. It's been, I've had a great time. <laughs> good deal. James Vasco is director yeah. of Damn Yankees. We have uh, a complaint that's come in on the text line. Okay. It has to do with all of us. <laughs> 
Uh-oh. Oh, okay. So I thought I'd call us all into the principal's office all right. for this this morning. Uh, from the, uh, let me see, 847 area code, I would like to file a complaint against the morning show. Uh, I am currently in the hospital uh, listening, recovering from surgery, and you guys are making me laugh too much, and I'm, <laughs> I'm in excruciating pain. Oh, okay. Our apologies for uh, that. Please stop it. <laughs> Immediately. <laughs> So there you go. I, the uh, way that started out, I really thought we were really in trouble there. Hinsdale Hospital, to be exact. Shout out Hinsdale Hospital. Well, yeah. we no, we send uh, best wishes Definitely. for a speedy recovery. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I started off reading this email the same way as you. <laughs> it says from Hinsdale Hospital. I regret listening to your program this morning. <laughs> Okay. Well, I feel like that every week, but that's, <laughs> you don't hear me complaining about it. It says, it's worth the pain. You're making me laugh. It's worth the pain. Keep up the good work, Joanne. So, Thank you, Joanne, as always. And uh, again, best wishes for a speedy recovery. Right. Get and well soon. Get next, well. next intravenous bag is on me. <laughs> so Stop it, Stat. <laughs> we are so happy to have uh, joining us on the program right now. One of the uh, original hosts of our uh, sister cable channel, News Nation, Marnie Hughes, is uh, going to be part of the expanded daytime lineup uh, that begins tomorrow uh, with her News Nation live show that will be on from 9 until noon uh, Central Time. Uh, Marnie, it's great to have you with us here on WGN Radio. Hello. Hi, Dean. Good morning to you. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday to you. It's <laughs> normally when I see you in the hallways over uh, at Bradley Place, uh, you're running there. You know, it, it's just like a scene out of the movie broad, Broadcast News. You know, you're you're <laughs> running to get like into it. a studio. There's some breaking story. There's, you know, something uh, that's uh, that's going on. How have you how have you been? I, I, I never get a chance to say more than a hi to you quickly in the hallway over there. I know. That's not an exaggeration, Dean. I am almost always running into that studio that we um, we share a wall with you guys. Uh, I'm doing well. Thank you so much. I am very excited. Um, having been one of the original News Nation um, uh, on-air anchors for our program less right. than three years ago, right. um, I have watched this place grow and change and evolve. So tomorrow is a big day as we um, as we go 24 hours, and we've added all this great programming. It's been exciting to see. Uh, I underestimated um, how quickly things would change, and so um, to have a front seat to that has been um, a roller coaster, but it's also been super fulfilling, very exciting. Yeah, one of the other, in addition to there being more now of daytime programming, uh, News Nation will be, as they're calling it, 24-5, which will be news programming 24 hours a day, Monday through Friday. So, uh, you know, you'll be able to get uh, shows like Chris Cuomo and Leland Vittert and uh, Ashley Banfield and Dan Abrams, uh, the brand new on uh, News Nation is Elizabeth Vargas. And, uh, uh, you know, great uh, programming during the day when uh, things are just really hopping and happening all the time. I mean, that must be exciting for you to be on smack in the middle of the day when congressional hearings are going on and Supreme Court decisions are coming down <laughs> and that you're able to cover all that stuff as it is happening. 
Yeah, no, I love it. I mean, this time slot, um, I'd never done mornings before this shift that I'm doing now with News Nation Live, as you mentioned, 9 to noon Central Time. I'd always done evening newscasts. I came from local news, so I had done local news for 20 years and stepped out and started to reevaluate what I wanted to do. And then this opportunity with News Nation came along. And in the beginning of the pandemic is when we started to talk about the idea and then launched when the pandemic was in full swing. So to have started an evening newscast um, in the fall of 2020, in the beginning of a major presidential election, and now shy of three years doing this daytime program, I like this because it it is, like you say, it's happening now. So, I mean, I look at the things that have taken place just in the last six months while I've been on the air. President Biden visited Keys, that surprise visit. Um, the world was watching as Queen Elizabeth. I know you were just talking about her. Um, we watched her funeral in London. That happened the first day we launched News Nation Live. And then some horrible events that have unfolded on our air. Just a couple of weeks ago, the bank shooting in Louisville, that was happening as we were on the air. Trump was indicted in New York as we were on the air. So to be able to bring an audience um, news as it's unfolding is exciting. It's impactful. I think it's important. And I think for News Nation to be on the air when that stuff is going on, what's different about this new daytime lineup is when you flip around and you get a text on your phone or an alert this is happening right now, and you can now turn to News Nation. We're going to be covering it, right? So we're right. jumping in to the fray, and it's an important place to be. And to do that in less than three years with a brand-new network that launched in the pandemic, we're very proud that we are now in that space. Yeah, it's been very, very interesting, uh, you know, for those of us that share the hallway. Uh, you know, New- News Nation is uh, on the second floor <laughs> at Bradley Place. Uh, <laughs> much of it is, and uh, WGN-TV is on the first floor uh, to uh, see the growth of this and, and you know, the changes uh, and adaptation to what people have uh, said that they want in, in TV newscasts. I mean, I, I think that accounts for uh, the growth, don't you think? I think so. I mean, Dean, you know, being in local news and because that was my background, I mean, I think local news does that really well. They serve an audience that is hungry for the truth, that's hungry for the facts, a smart audience that's looking for balance, that they understand that what they're going to see on the news is ideas that may be different than theirs. And I think that's a healthy thing. But what we've seen from network news over the last decade is that has shifted and people are turning to news to reaffirm their own beliefs. Well, that's not what our job is. Um, Our job is to present both sides to every story, to ask smart questions, to investigate, to be curious. And I think that was what appealed to me with News Nation in the beginning. And I've been excited that, you know, you hear in the in the political world about the movable middle. I think there are a lot of people in that movable middle, not just in politics, but in news that just want information. And I think for us, it's consistent that we build that trust every day with our audience. And yeah, we'll make mistakes. But we have a group of journalists on camera, behind the scenes that are committed to that and those values that are very basic to what journalism is. And so I'm excited that we're still in that space three years later and that we're growing on it and that, you know, we have expanded our programming that offers a variety of different things that people can see. So that's what I think is is really fulfilling, and um, I would have never anticipated where we are now three years ago, so I can't even tell you where I think we'll be in 
three years. Right. Um, and that's what's re- what's really exciting. Yeah. yeah I mean, re- really, when you think about, uh, you know, Walter Cronkite or, you know, the 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 the, the Mount Rushmore of news, uh, you know, the, the great anchors and producers and so forth. Nothing happened in three years <laughs> with any of those people. It took decades and decades and decades to build that kind of trust. And it seems to be moving uh, at an incredible pace uh, on News Nation. So, what the 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 uh, daytime lineup, the weekday lineup now, will uh, consist of what uh, exactly? So, right at the start of the day, if you're one of those people that gets up when it's still dark, we've got early morning, which is an hour long news program, lets you know what happened overnight while you were sleeping. Then we have um, Morning in America, which takes you from. 6 a.m. until 9 a.m. And then I am on News Nation Live from 9 to noon. And then starting Monday at noon, we'll have a new two-hour program called News Nation Now. And it will be anchored by a rotating cast of some of our best reporters at the network. And then from 2 to 4, Nicole Burley will anchor uh, an addition to News Nation now. So that whole news block uh, will be filled now throughout the day. It previously until Monday was Blue Bloods. So it was a lot of reruns. And so we're taking up that space. And then at 4 Central, Leland Vittert and a panel of political experts, Chris Steyerwalt, who has come on board with us, and George Will, who a lot of people know um, for his column and his decades in journalism, will be part of a panel anchoring The Hill, which they'll talk about the daily political topics. And then Elizabeth Vargas, as you mentioned, takes over from there. She has what I would consider more of a nightly news type program, uh, big stories of the day, big interviews. And then you've got Leland Vittert with his show On Balance. And then the rest of the lineup, you've got Dan Abrams, Chris Cuomo, who was a most recent addition for us, Ashley Banfield, uh, who has been here now for two years. She's fantastic. She does a lot of the true crime, big court cases, and then also the big news of the day. And that really fills out our weekday lineup. And then on weekends, we have three hours of News Nation Prime. And then um, I would anticipate it's not too long before we're all news on the weekend as well. But that takes time to build. Um, So (laughs) we'll start with the weekdays and then go from there. It's quite a lineup. Uh, You know, maybe the biggest question of all with all of this expansion. Are you happy with the vending machines that we have over on Bradley Place? (laughs) You know, I have wandered in there a few times. We got that new one, the fresh, what is it called? Fresh Market? The Fresh Market, where it's like fresh fresh stuff that costs $147 to get a sandwich. Uh, yeah, I've, I've I've gone in there maybe once or twice in the last month. There's a good like mozzarella yeah. pesto pasta thing in there that I <laughs> these enjoy. Are the, <laughs> these are the important things that <laughs> feed both of our newsrooms. Of are we eating properly? Are you know are we getting our good good food? Uh, uh, and apparently, uh, it, you know, it's good enough for us, I guess. Yeah, I don't mind it. Yeah, we got to fuel it, especially on days when we've got breaking news. I've been on right. that set for as long as 11 hours straight. Right, if right. Not, somebody will bring you a slice of pizza. But <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Marnie Hughes is on with News Nation Live from 9 until noon Central Time. Uh, Marnie, we'll see you in the hallways and break a leg with uh, the new lineup tomorrow. Thank you, Dean, so much. And pop in um, to the studio every once in a while so you don't have to catch me uh, running through the hall. I, I never want to disturb you, but maybe <laughs> I, I might. If you see my bald head pop in, uh, I'll, I'll say hi real quick. Do so. We'll bring you on set. There is uh, Marnie Hughes, and we'll take a quick break. We've got our conversation with former heavyweight champ George Foreman coming up next. I should have probably uh, mentioned... I guess I sort of did when I was talking with Marnie Hughes a minute ago that uh, the cable channel News Nation 
and WGN Radio and WGN TV, for that matter, all owned by the same company, uh, Nextar Media Group. Just to, you know. That is correct. To make it official. That is correct. Like you news snobs like to do all the time. (laughs) Accuracy. In full public disclosure. Accuracy. We should like to disclose. (laughs) (laughs) The Dame Edna impersonations running off, uh, rubbing off on you. Dame Edna. (laughs) We had her here in the WGN studio. Oh, you did? I can't find the interview. I looked for it this morning. Okay. I did find a sandwich that I lost back in 1994. (laughs) As we continue with all of our regular features, including my Dean's List, A-List interviews with the stars. Today we've got uh, the man on which uh, an upcoming motion picture's uh, life is being told. Uh, George Foreman was uh, the two-time world heavyweight champion. He was an Olympic gold medalist. Uh, he made numerous appearances on all of the major talk shows through the years for his very charismatic uh, personality, uh, talking about his ten kids, uh, five, five of them sons, all named George. All five of his sons named George. It was quite the topic uh, of discussion through the years. Uh, it's a true rags-to-riches story that includes one of the great entrepreneurial success stories of all time, the George Foreman Grill. And we uh, talked about uh, much of that with George on a Zoom chat uh, just the other day as uh, the new movie called Big George Foreman, The Miraculous Story of the Once and Future Heavyweight Champion of the World is set to be released into theaters on Friday. Now, I figured, you know, doing uh, all of the promotional work that he's done, both as a fighter and as a television personality and as a, uh, a George Foreman Grill pitchman, that certainly he must have uh, spent some time in Chicago. And it turns out that he sure did. Back in the, uh, I think, 1970, maybe, uh, Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, the Playboy Club, across the uh, river. And so I trained in Chicago and I would run in the morning. And after a while, the wind was too much. So <laughs> I, I would run behind a building to hide from the wind. And it's like it followed me around and got me again. I'll never forget that. What a, a wind that you could never hide from. That's yeah. my story about Chicago. Yeah. You can't hide from the wind there. <laughs> Two, two things that people always mention to me, either the food or the weather. One, one thing or other about the, it being too cold or too windy, but I know exactly what you mean where you can't get away from that, that hawk. Couldn't get away. Yeah. So this, uh, this movie, Big George Foreman, uh, is, is such an interesting uh, story. I mean, I think we all you know, sort of knew your history and your past. But this really takes a deep dive into quite a rags to riches story. How do you how do you view your life story? Well, you put your life down in books, God in my corner, where the movie was taken from, the book, and you look at the stories, but you know people have to use their imagination. Then having it move into film where you actually see it, George Tillman, the director brought it to life. And I cried initially. I cried because I could remember there was no hope. Words like potential, professional, 
setting goals, those things didn't exist. And then to see yourself now with the things that I've tried and became successful at, I actually cried watching that film. There's nothing like seeing your life in film. Yeah, I, I can imagine how it must have touched so many nerves for you, reliving some things that I, I'm sure were not that pleasant that you no, that you overcame, pleasant. right? Nothing pleasant about seeing it. But to see it in film, it touched me, and it's going to touch a lot of people because there are a lot of George Foreman's uh, people who've been given up, not any hope, get knocked down, get up again, especially people coming into the country for the first time thinking, I can't make it, and come to find out in America, everybody can make it. What do you attribute, George, your uh, survival, uh, your getting knocked down and getting back up again? I mean, in a way, it's the perfect metaphor for a, a, a boxer. You get knocked down, you get back up again. But really, that's been your life story, uh, really your whole life, right? Yeah. And then having a mother who really demonstrated that she cared for me. I needed that. I met Doc Brodus, the part of Forrest Whitaker in the movie he played. First human being that never gave up on me. George, you can. Stop fighting in the streets, man. You can become a good fighter. He never get. and I tried to run and hide from boxing, but he came to me, wouldn't give up on me, and uh, uh, I became an Olympic gold medalist, which is the highlight of my whole athletic career. That gold medal, man. Yeah, more so, more so than the heavyweight titles, even, huh? More so. I mean, I, it's like sometimes I wake up and think, did that really happen to me? Is this a dream? That Olympic gold medal, I've never had a dream to come true in my life. That was it. Now, why why do you put that over what a lot of people remember you for? Your heavyweight accomplishments. Uh, your fights against uh, Ali and Foreman and, you know, some of the greats in, in boxing, you put the Olympic gold medal above all of those. Because I was a 19-year-old boy. I remember once uh, climbing in the window because I came home to make truants, shooting hooky, and one of my cousins caught me. I thought she had gone to work. And uh, I said, no, no, I forgot something. And she said, after a while, George, don't, you don't have to lie. I know you're not going to school. I said, no, I'm going to school. I forgot something. She said, you're not going to be anything. No one in this family ever become anything. And, you know, she was telling the truth. She started calling out these characters in my family. And then on that platform in the Olympics, he listening to the national anthem in the background. And I remember hearing her voice, and I thought, no, you're wrong. I must be something. I'm an American. They're playing that national anthem. That's why to be written off in life and then having that second chance to doing something with my life. I'll never forget that. Yeah. How much did you uh, talk to and uh, advise these young actors playing yourself, uh, playing Ali, playing the people who were so pivotal in your life? You talk about uh, George Tillman. You know, he's from Chicago. And uh, we, we've had him on so many times uh, as a young filmmaker, and he's just gone on to do great things. I couldn't agree with you more about what an amazing filmmaker he is. But you also have 
all of these young actors playing yourself, playing Muhammad Ali, playing people pivotal in your life, did you talk to them? Did you advise them on how to play their roles? It was all trust in George Tillman. This guy has a wonderful imagination. He brought these characters to a lot to life. I remember meeting Chris Davis the first couple of times. I made him look me in the eye. I said, and he dropped it. I said, no, look me in the eye until you see yourself in my eyes. He caught, he caught, he said, I got it, I got it. That was enough for me. I knew he would bring that character alive. What a good actor. What a good actor. What, what, did, what did he bring to the role of George Foreman that you, you said that you cried when you watched this movie? What did he bring to it that brought you so much to tears? And it wasn't about uh, imitating George Foreman. He acted out the parts that I never would have thought are possible for me to act out. I try to hide these things in my life. Who wants everybody to know that you're so poor that you spit one sandwich with four or five people in your and your, your children, your your brothers and sisters? Who wants to see someone moving into places that people had deserted and left old refrigerators and stoves? Those guys challenged, took the challenge and brought it to life. And I'll never forget that. And that's the one thing I'm happy about. I'll be able to look at that movie for ages on and remember those moments, bringing them yeah. back alive. They did it, acting. I, I can imagine what kind of talks you must have had with your own children. Uh, the five Georges, as we you know so famously know, all of your sons and your daughters, uh, and the advice that you must have given them to avoid the pitfalls that you went through as, as a young man. Were there those? Yeah, you lecture one child after another. Ten kids I've raised, and you're uh, really scared, and you're frightened for all of them, so you just lecture all the time. And then for them to go back with me and watch that movie and see those things come alive, I had to tug on their heart as well. But you never give up on your kids because there are a lot of people who never gave up on me. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that we will always remember you for, for all of your uh, boxing uh, excellence, for all of your appearances on talk shows, I remember classic moments with you and Johnny Carson that are, are some of the best. Uh, I, I, did you also enjoy those moments? Uh, oh. With Johnny Carson and uh, and all the talk shows, sure seemed like you did. Oh, most lovely times of my life, Johnny Carson. There'll never be another like him. And then uh, uh, coming along with the one who took him uh, took over for him, we had fun, a lot of fun. Uh, and and it's so nice to know that people are looking at you. Not to see the boxer, but to see the other side of you. And guys like uh, Johnny Carson, they brought the other side of me alive on television, talk television. Jay Leno. Oh, boy. Boy, I had a lot of fun with those guys. Yeah, it sure, it sure seemed like it. But the other, uh, the other thing that you will always be remembered for are those uh, grills, the George Foreman grills. Can you tell me the story of how all of that came about, and it it had to have become bigger than you ever thought that it would have, I imagine. Yeah, I'd become the darling of Madison Avenue. I'd done commercials for McDonald's, Pepsi-Cola's, Doritos, 
And the list goes on and on. And one friend said, George, you're making all these other companies wealthy and rich. Why don't you get your own product? I said, yeah, how much are you going to pay me? They said, no, no, no. We got we started this joint venture. And this grill my wife forced me to use because she had been using it all along. It worked. And I hoped after the, the, the business deal we made that I'd get 16 of them. One for my cousin, one for my aunt, <laughs> one for this person. I never thought this thing would uh, reach. It, it was sold over 120 of those things worldwide. I yeah. never thought that would be. I didn't see that coming at all. The grill is successful because it worked. Yeah. I mean, literally billions of those machines sold uh, all over the world. Uh, and mostly because George Foreman said, you know, that you should go ahead and use it and how great it was. And it was a healthier form of uh, eating uh, everything. I mean, George Foreman's word on TV uh, meant a lot. And, you know, it meant a lot to me because when you go in and endorse something, it better work because people see right through through you if it's not true. Jim Brown and Johnny Unitas did a public service message about the Job Corps. They said, if you're looking for a second chance, join the Job Corps. They weren't lying. And so I've tried to relive those moments. And when I do an endorsement or something, make it real. Believe in it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. I, I do, uh, uh, besides entertainment, I do a cooking segment here on WGN also. And last week, I did a segment on favorite sandwiches Guess which grill we use to grill up some of those sandwiches. The George, Whoa, don't tell me. The George Foreman grill, it wow. works every time. Ah, man, thank you. That grilled yeah. cheese on that thing is really that's, good. That's right. That's exactly correct. Um, George, is, is there uh, anything that in, in your life that if you could turn back time and do differently, that you would do differently? There are so many things I enjoyed. They had to cut out a lot of things in the movie, but I wish I could have cut them out of my life, period. I started off without a good understanding, and my first marriage, I lost my first marriage. No one goes around thinking, oh, good. No, no, no. I was not a success originally. Now I've had a wife for about 40 years. I'm enjoying it. But uh, I don't consider it success when the, the strikeouts I had in my personal life. No, no, no. Yeah, you almost have to have those, though, don't you, to appreciate when things go right, I, I, I think, a little bit. They, they help teach you things, don't they? It, it taught me that whenever you find something good, you better hold on to it. It's like you can just change and switch things over, and they're going to be equally as good. Yeah. No, no, no. I learned the hard way. Family is important. And and also, it, I wonder if there's a moment in your life of all the successes that you've had, all the mountains that you've climbed, uh, if, if there is like one moment that you're most proud of that you will never forget, what is that George Foreman moment? I, I'll keep saying it and I'll continue to say it. I was a 19-year-old boy and I never had a dream to come true in my life. But I stood on that a platform uh, after winning the Olympic gold medal and uh, listening to the national anthem in the background, I still think that's a dream. I have to wake up all the time and make myself believe it really happened. I'll never forget that. Never forget it. 
Well, the movie is called Big George Foreman, and you can relive some of those moments with George uh, starting on April the uh, 28th. My friend, it's a pleasure to see you. I'm glad to see you looking so well, and uh, I hope uh, the next time that you come through Chicago, we'll, come, we'll protect you from the wind if you come and visit with us here at WGN. I know how to hide from the wind now. Stay inside. <laughs> The great George Foreman, uh, the movie is called Big George Foreman, the miraculous story of the once and future heavyweight champion of the world. It opens next Friday. I'll tell you much more about it during the week. A quick break. And when we come back on the other side, we're going to get into our food time show talking springtime vegetables today. I'm going to need it to be a little bit warmer uh, tomorrow, if possible. Why is that? Uh, I want to grill out. Oh, Okay. I can grill out when it's cold, but... Well, in the 50s, but the problem is uh, perhaps some uh, rain and some showers later on. It was weird yesterday around noon. We had, it looked like snow, sleet, rain all at once for about 15 minutes. Yeah, we had all all four seasons at once. I looked up, I was in a store and I looked out the window, it's like, it's snowing? Yeah, I know. What? I know. Wasn't I just in shirt sleeves a minute ago? <laughs> Did you say that the uh, one of one of two survivors from the Pearl Harbor yes. attack? That one of them. So now there's only one one survivor. left. One hundred one year old Lou Conter. He wow. lives in California, and he is the last remaining survivor of a crew, the crew of the USS Arizona. Wow. Uh, that was uh, there on December seventh, nineteen forty one. Yes. Uh, Howard Ken Potts, who is a native of Illinois, died this week in Provo, Utah. He was 102. How about that? Yeah. These guys yeah. that survived th- that hell uh, and then went on to live these extraordinarily long lives. Yes. Um, what is rather heartening is that both Mr. Potts and Mr. Conter participated in uh, an audio um, interview mm. series that mm. has been done over the years talking sure. about what it was like that day sure. and what they had to do. So we have a record of uh, of their stories and their memory. How haunting to be among the final survivors, but, you know, to be the, the last two guys and now the final guy, you know, thinking, wow, I'm the last one left. That's, mm-hmm. It's got to be bittersweet in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I will always remember always remember uh, our visit uh, in 2015 there with my dad um and you knew my father rather well he was a very talkative person and uh, when we got to that memorial he wasn't saying much and it's very was, moving it it is and it's and, very moving honestly if you're not moved to tears when you go through that tour yeah especially there's, after there's, you see you, the film the video a heart of show. stone it, it's yeah it's very very moving yep he only said he he turned to me and he just said all of these people were my age so you right, know certainly right. what was going through his mind true. was the fact that you know they were all his age when when that happened yeah. um, um 1100 crew members died that day on that boat no it's it's uh it's astounding when you see it. I mean, regardless of how many times you've seen it in the movies or seen the story told or read about it, uh, it's completely different when you see the whole thing Absolutely. in person. Absolutely. Yes. That's what they're going to say, be saying about us when we're 101 and 102 years old. <laughs> Still doing this show here. It's like, when are those guys going to leave? When are they going to be quiet? When are they going to finally shut up? Somebody... <laughs> 
Just like our just like our text today, right? Oh, oh wait a minute. People already say that about <laughs> us. Never mind. All right, here we go now. It is twelve twelve. And this is Dean Richards Sunday morning on uh, WGN. I was uh I was just looking over something that was mailed into me that uh Schwani, if you're if you're there and you got a second, you'll enjoy this uh, also. But somebody sent me a bunch of issues of uh, the What's Going On magazine. Do you remember that? Yes. That we used to send out yes. to, to our listeners. What's going on, right. Taking uh, its name from the call letters. What's going on? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and I, I don't know how... Uh, was it, it was, I don't think this was... Was it monthly or quarterly or something? It was they, a monthly. They would send these things out. But it was, you know, stories written by the hosts and photos behind the scenes. And uh, I'm just going down memory lane looking at this. This is a very nostalgic day for me because, as I had mentioned at the start of the show, I think this week is my anniversary, my 29th anniversary as a host here on WGN this week. You have not committed this to memory. <laughs> I, should, I should be. Most people remember their anniversaries better yeah. and... <laughs> Just don't. <laughs> no particular reason, but I, I, I'm just. It's when I started work. I didn't. I didn't write the day down. But uh, there's there's an article that I wrote in here. Uh, when was this? 1995, April of 1995. So it was, I guess, shortly after I started here. And the subject was. Uh, the subject was it was Roy Leonard normally wrote this column of what's go, what's going on, you know, entertainment wise, and I guess Roy must have been out of town or something, and they asked me to do it. So uh, it says here, I'll give you a taste of what's fast becoming my beat at the station: food. How about that? Oh, okay, <laughs> how, how funny is that? <laughs> uh, and then it's an art, just an article about the different foods that we have here in Chicago. And it said that if people want to contact me, they can do it. I give I give uh, an AOL uh, <laughs> e- email address. <laughs> I was cutting edge. Can't say I wasn't cutting edge back then. And you still had a dial-up modem. I probably did. Yes, ninety four. Uh, I did. Here's uh, here's another. Still do. <laughs> uh, no, do you still have an no, AOL address? No, really? no, no, no. I don't. Yes, you do. I do not. You never get rid of anything. Yes, you do. Uh, here's a little article that was written. On a recent Friday morning when Dean Richards was filling in for Stephen Johnny, producer Bob Kessler typed on the screen, line one, Tony wants to know how to become a DJ. Dean went to Tony and said, hi, Tony, you're on the air. Tony, Tony, are you there? Tony, <laughs> With that, Dean heard a deep, guttural snoring. (laughs) No doubt what it was. He tried everything from screaming and shouting to playing bugle-type sound effects to water to try to rouse (laughs) poor Tony. (laughs) Around 3.50 a.m., Spike, who was listening while driving to the station, called from his cell phone laughing hysterically. They started checking Tony on the fives. To see if Tony was still asleep. (laughs) 
Other listeners were calling in trying to wake up Tony, but all they heard was snoring, (laughs) heavy breathing, and an occasional cough. At 5 o'clock, Dean passed Tony on to Spike, who was filling in for Bob Collins that day, who continued the Tony on the Fives campaign until 7 o'clock, and then Tony hung up without a word. So you never heard from Tony. I have no recollection of that whatsoever. (laughs) That's funny. See, I just don't remember stuff. We had a crossword puzzle in this thing. Okay. Um... That's nice. How many How many copies did four. you get? Four. You got four of them? Four of them. Mm-hmm. There's one at Pumpkin Fest. Remember we used to do Pumpkin Fest? Yep. Yep. Sure. That was a lot of fun. A lot of pictures of old pals. Good old Ron Santo. Wayne Larravee. A young, oh, that is going back. Young Dan Hampton. That's going back. Glenn Kozlowski. <laughs> uh, article by uh, Milt Rosenberg. Yeah, it's nice. Thank you. Thank you for sending the stuff in. Thank you for cleaning out your basement so I could fill <laughs> so up mine. So you can fill yours up, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, and I uh, the, the way we uh, started the show, I was mentioning that I, I thought that this was my anniversary this week, and it turns out it, it is, although we're still not 100% sure on the exact date. But uh, we went on the Internet to see if we could figure it out, and the first thing that came up, uh, when I put Dean Richards, uh, it said Dean Richards' cause of death. <laughs> so apparently I'm not feeling well. <laughs> there is a famous uh, soccer player, I guess, in England. There was, who died at a very young age named Dean Richards. Is what I so just, that explains that. Look how much stuff I learned today. Yeah, a lot. Yeah. A lot. We are very educational on this show. <laughs> this is why we win all the awards, this right? This is why we're, we're, our award ceremony is just as filled with awards as they are <laughs> these uh, things that you keep <laughs> people keep sending me. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. That's all I got. <laughs> okay. Do you have other things to do now? I well, yes, I have a newsroom to run for one thing. No, yeah, yeah, well, blah, blah, twelve blah, new, twelve thirty newscast. Whatever coming up. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> You've been repeating them every hour since eight thirty this morning. Anyway. No, like five o'clock this morning. Actually, <laughs> you've so. been repeating them since five this morning. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay, all right. That's all I got. Okay, thank you for participating. You're quite welcome. Thank you very much. We're going to get into our food time show in just a couple of minutes. Uh, We had such a fantastic response to the recipe that I did on TV this past week uh, where I made a pesto with fresh asparagus. I'm trying to incorporate the fresh ingredients of spring into some recipes right now. And I wanted to uh, we, we did this pesto, which I'll review in just a minute. It's so easy to make it and was so incredibly delicious. I'm not pat myself on the back i'm just saying if you want a nice light delicious uh pesto to throw on some pasta or some grilled chicken or something like that uh it was just fantastic I'll tell you about that and we'll get some other recipes going here in a minute stick around tomorrow on the wgn tv morning news i'll be featuring my interview with the celebrated author judy bloom a lot of you grew up reading Judy Bloom books. Uh, one of them, maybe her most famous, is called uh, Are You There, God? 
a story of uh, a young girl uh, raised with parents of different religious persuasions who really grows up without any religions but she you know constantly is talking to god for uh, answers to things that are going on in her life it's really a coming of age story for a young girl uh, who is uh, maybe uh, 12 years old uh, 11 12 years old something like that and you know going through the things that uh, 11 and 12 year old girls uh, go through the the uh, movie adaptation of this book has uh, taken place and we talk about that with judy bloom and so much more that's tomorrow on the wgn tv morning news rachel mcadams is one of the stars of this movie she plays the mother character in it and uh, we'll have that uh, coming up a little bit later on in the week as well so uh, i've got some good stuff planned for you during the week here on wgn in addition to my uh, weekly uh, cooking segment i was out at a restaurant last night and uh, when I was walking out of the restaurant, somebody stopped me and said uh, they enjoy the the Wednesday cooking segment. They enjoy the recipes. They do my recipes, and uh, they're really enjoying them. And I'm so I can't tell you how happy I am uh, to hear that that you're enjoying the recipes, that you're you know trying them out yourselves, that you're you know doing some cooking at home. Uh, I it, it makes my heart feel good knowing that uh, you know that you're getting something out of all that. Uh, last week I did a, a recipe. Uh, I've been uh, trying to incorporate the you know foods of the season, things that are really in season right now. I've been trying to incorporate in some of the recipes. So you know, springtime is asparagus time of year, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, I made, I I didn't want to just, you know, put put them on the grill, although I do love them that way. I love a a grilled asparagus. I love, uh, you know, putting it, uh, you know, steaming it, you know, something like that. As a side dish, super easy. I wanted to do something a little bit different and got the idea to do a uh, pesto made of asparagus. Normally, pesto is, uh, you know, fresh basil, pine nuts. Um, you know, a variety of ingredients, uh, olive oil and so forth. This leaves the the basil out of it and instead uh, takes fresh asparagus, which there's no shortage this time of year. I lightly blanched it just for a second, put it in the food processor along with pine nuts and olive oil, uh, about a handful of fresh spinach, uh, I thought that would add some color to it all and, uh, you know, make it a little more nutritious as well. And it sure did. Uh, and uh, some salt, some pepper. Uh, what else did I put in? Some uh, Italian seasoning uh, into it all. And uh, it was so delicious. The sauce was it was creamy. It was so delicious. And I put it on top of some farfalle pasta, the bowtie pasta. Because uh, I wanted the uh, pesto sauce to kind of fully ingrain itself into the crevices of the pasta. That's how I usually choose pastas. What kind of sauce am I going to wind up putting on it? Uh, and I also grilled up some chicken thighs. Uh, when I'm grilling up chicken lately, I'm almost always doing chicken thighs these days. I think they're much more flavorful. They're much more tolerant to you know, cooking, it's pretty hard to over dry a chicken thigh. They're they are just inherently moist. And you know what? They're not as expensive either. So you can't be that. So I, I grilled up the chicken, salt, pepper, and some Italian seasoning. I kept the seasonings 
you know, pretty uh, discreet this time. Uh, I did the pasta with the asparagus uh, pesto and put the chicken on top of it, and it was delicious. Uh, we made it on the Wednesday, this past Wednesday's cooking segment, and Larry Potash and Robin Baumgarten, uh, Paul Conrad, um, Pat Tomasulo, who normally he, he watches his food very carefully. I never thought that he would have a serving of uh, pasta considering all the carbs under, and he had two two helpings. Everybody had two helpings. So they absolutely loved it, and the crew went crazy, and they loved it. Uh, so it was a huge, huge, huge hit. If you want the exact recipe, the exact proportions, we always post them at uh, WGNTV.com slash Dean Cooks. WGNTV.com slash Dean Cooks. If you want to get last weekend's recipes uh, and guaranteed it'll be a big hit so you know now i'm for this coming wednesday i'm looking for some more springtime kind of recipes you know what i discovered when i was just like searching around a little bit i discovered the first uh i, I guess i guess you would call it a vegetable uh that comes up in the springtime is rhubarb i never knew that uh i I don't know what I thought it might be, but I never thought that it was going to be rhubarb. But that comes up first before everything else. So it is the ultimate springtime veggie, I guess, although I've never seen it used in anything other than desserts. Does anybody use rhubarb for anything but dessert recipes? I've made strawberry rhubarb cobblers, pies, you know, things like that uh, that are delicious and wonderful but i've never i've never seen it served uh, any other way i wonder if you can use it in a salad i don't know you mean like yeah. raw well cooked you know and then refrigerated you really need to cook rhubarb first uh, i guess like it, like if you were going to put asparagus in a salad exactly yeah you yeah cook it up a little bit and chill right. it chill it right and then that might be an interesting flavor hmm. with a vinaigrette dressing that might be good yeah it's you you do, Just Jacques, a thought. you do Jacques Pepin coming up with the recipes. <laughs> that would be tasty. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm looking for some recipes like that. Springtime recipes, really. Uh, but if you've specifically if you've got some rhubarb recipes, because I really want to make something with rhubarb, I think, this week. I could. I've done rhubarb cobbler. It's so easy. On the grill, you put the ingredients in a cast iron pan. And then uh, you you know top it with uh, like a like a crust mix, uh, and you put it uh, in in the grill for about I think like a half an hour something like that, and the rhubarb gets nice and you know juicy and sweetens up, and the biscuit mix that's sitting on top of it cooks and puffs up. It's delicious as a cobbler. But I want to I just want to try uh, something else so. Uh, let's open up the phone lines and get some of your ideas for that at 312-981-7200. Looking for springtime recipes, rhubarb in particular. What do you have for me here? 312-981-7200. So before anybody tries your rhubarb salad uh, yeah, idea, yeah, yeah, somebody texted in from 847. Uh, careful, I heard that rhubarb raw is poisonous. This is why I said to cook it. Yes. 
It's poisonous. Shwani offering up poison recipes to people. <laughs> I didn't. I said it had what to be you, cooked. What are you, Boris Betnoff, all of a sudden? <laughs> First we kill moose, moose and, and squirrel. squirrel. Then we get people to eat raw rhubarb. You were asking if anybody used rhubarb for things other than a pie or dessert, which is cooked. And I said, maybe in a salad maybe after a salad. it yep. is cooked after it's and cooked. refrigerated. Well, here's, here's the deal. Uh, I looked it up. Not that I wasn't hanging on your every word uh, in your newscast, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I hear that every week. <laughs> the stalks of rhubarb plant are safe to eat. You can even eat them raw, but beware they're very tart. Mm-hmm. However, the large, smooth, heart-shaped leaves are toxic. Yeah, rhubarb leaves are considered poisonous to humans and animals. Yep, throw them away. Due to high concentrations of oxalic acid, mm-hmm. according to a professor of food science at the University of Wisconsin, this oxalic acid can cause difficulty in breathing, nausea, and even uh, kidney stones. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. Definitely stay away from the leaves. So there's the Schwani salad for you. <laughs> we had a neighbor that uh, grew rhubarb uh, in uh, the backyard and always had an abundance of it. And, you know, come over and we should give us yeah, some and some of the other neighbors. Come over and have neighbors. some poison rhubarb. <laughs> but what? Especially you, young Dave. Come <laughs> on over and have some poison rhubarb. Hi, young man. Try Could I, this. Can I have some of your rhubarb, please? <laughs> I love, you love my kid I, voice. That kid voice. <laughs> Hi, my name's Dave. I live next door. Can I have a... I know that you have an abundance of rhubarb. You sound like Arnold the Newsboy on the Flintstones when he comes to harass Fred. I was busy playing DJ in the basement, but my mom sent me over if we could borrow a cup of rhubarb. Boy, you know what? You're right. That's exactly what happened. (laughs) Dave, go next door and borrow some rhubarb leaves from Mrs. Swanson. And then we had, then, you know, once that was done. I like that I'm doing your mom's voice now, too. Once that was done. David, David, go next door. Did your mom call you David? Uh, yeah. 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 She, if, if I wasn't in trouble. David, go next door and see if they have any extra poison rhubarb leaves. <laughs> if I was in trouble, it was David Paul Schwann. Oh, you got the full. Yeah, I got the full name. The full thing. That's right. Okay. Yep. Uh, you got to keep your animals away from the rhubarb leaves, also. By the way. Yes. Well, sure. Because if you know the toxicity of it, yeah, will uh, cause some big problems. Oxalic toxicity. Toxicity. Nope. That's the word of the day here. Okay. Lou Manfredini has a word of the day. This is our word of the day. Toxicity. I got a word for you, too. But <laughs> yeah, so you I'll can't t- say it on the I'll air. I'll tell you after the show. This is Dean Richards, uh, Sunday afternoon now on WGN, talking to rhubarb, because uh, I want to do a recipe on my uh, TV cooking segment that I do every Wednesday, Wednesday about 9.35 uh, every week. Uh, I'm trying to do some things that are uh, quintessentially spring and uh, I learned this week that rhubarb is the first vegetable. Technically, it is a vegetable. It's the first vegetable to come up out of the ground in springtime, according to whatever it was that I was reading. And uh, I had mentioned that I, I don't think I'd ever seen a rhubarb recipe that it's not a dessert. 
and some of you have uh, come up with a few things. We'll get to those in a second. But uh, 847 area code says rhubarb is not exactly the best tasting uh, thing in the world. Uh, maybe that's why it's not found in more recipes. It is a tart. It is very tart. When you cook it down, I know when I've cooked it down uh, for uh, desserts like rhubarb uh, cobbler, rhubarb strawberry cobbler, upside down cake, things like that. You know, there's a ton of sugar in it. And it, so it's the contrast between the very slight tartness, because when you cook it, the tartness mellows. And the sweetness of sugar, you know, whatever you add into the recipe, it's kind of a nice uh, combination. But, um, yeah, so there's uh, an interesting uh, observation from somebody. Uh, But we've got uh, a whole bunch of texts of some ideas. And uh, also, Carol on the phone line. What's going on here? I don't know what that was. Hmm. Okay. Was that you? That was a little encore for you. Was that you playing yes, Aunt Yes, that B? was me. That yes. was you playing yes. Aunt B? Yeah. Aunt B when she gets hammered? Right. We have had a very Andy Griffith-esque show today. Yes, we have. That's for sure. My apologies. That was inadvertent. That's okay. That's okay. It's one more thing for me to complain to you yes. about. Uh, get in line. Carol, are, are you there? Did Shawnee scare you off? Yes, I am here. (laughs) Oh, good. I'm glad you're still here, because you have some rhubarb recipes, I hear. Yeah, it's not so much as a a recipe as um, a way to use it in something besides desserts, because I have have so much rhubarb in my garden that um, I offer it to people, and I give it to the food bank, and I freeze what I want and eat it all winter long. So this this comes up every year? This This is perennial? It just comes up every year? Oh, yes, definitely. And okay. it is the first thing that appears. It's way earlier even than the asparagus, okay. because my rhubarb is probably about a foot tall oh, already, wow, and the asparagus wow. is just starting to show up. But um, the rhubarb, if you dice it, it's good in any kind of mixture of vegetables, like if you're doing a stir-fry of just random vegetables, yeah. and you throw, throw a handful of diced rhubarb in there, um, it adds a little bit of tartness. It's also really good if you're making a vegetable soup with, with just mm. any kind of vegetables that you happen to have on hand yeah. and and throw a handful of diced rhubarb into that. And it just adds a really nice flavor. That sounds uh, amazing. Now, you're aware the, about the toxicity of the leaves, I guess, right? So when, when oh, you're, definitely, when yeah. You're out but there, the yeah. stalks, I mean, we ate the stalks all the time as children, and and yeah, they're they're good, <laughs> they're fine. You, and you, I have a unique use that probably nobody else has ever done okay. on the face of the earth. Um, the the woman who lived on the farm across the street from us when I was growing up used to make Kool-Aid and put finely diced chunks of rhubarb in the Kool-Aid to give it some nutritional value. Oh, interesting. And so when we went over there as kids to play with her children, um, she would serve us this Kool-Aid with chunks in it. Wow. kind of disgusting. So you'd have Kool-Aid with little diced rhubarb in it. That's right. Yeah. She called it rhubarb Kool-Aid and... And, yeah, you know, back at that time, we didn't have juicers or anything like right, that. So she right. just cut it up really fine. Cut it up real And we small. drank it down. So what flavor Kool-Aid goes best with a rhubarb uh, chaser? 
I can't really remember if she always put it in the same kind or not. Um, it probably goes equally probably goes pretty good with, with anything. Any kind of I could I could see a little tartness added to orange Kool Aid or cherry Kool Aid. Uh, maybe. Yeah, I think we we just sort of swilled it down and didn't really chew the chunks. <laughs> you didn't we just spend, sort of like swallowing our medicine. You didn't spend a lot of time on the rhubarb. <laughs> wow, we, we hung out there a lot, but yeah, that was that was not our favorite thing. But but it was really important to her that everything be really nutritious, and so that's how sure. she fixed the Kool Aid. Yeah, sure. Yeah, uh, well, that's very interesting, and. Um, the idea of adding it into some soup is uh, that's a, that's a really good idea to yeah or add. any kind of a stir fry um, you know with with just whatever vegetables sure. you happen to have on hand of it's course. really good that way and I, I have to think that it's pretty fibrous so you're probably getting some good dietary fiber in there I don't want to spoil right. yeah. spoil the conversation yeah. saying it's healthy but it, it probably is kind of healthy to. Uh, Add to a stir fry. It add it would add to the uh, uh, dietary fiber content. I would think. Yeah, and as, as far as the rhubarb stalks themselves go, I'm I'm not. I've never looked up what kind of nutritional value they have. As far as you know, are they a vitamin powerhouse or anything? But yeah. actually, anything that grows in the ground and that you go out and pick fresh has to have some value, right? Of course, of course. Here's a, a text from the six three zero area code. Uh, Carol, that said, I made rhubarb basil salad dressing last summer. I cooked rhubarb with a little sugar and basil until it was soft, uh, soft rather, and then mixed in some Greek yogurt, salt, and pepper. It was delicious. That does oh, sound. That yeah. does sound good. It, doesn't would, it? it gives a lot of tartness. You would you could use the rhubarb that way instead of vinegar or lemon juice. Oh, I suppose. Oh, look at this. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. That would that would add to the. Uh, uh, the acidity uh, value of it. Here's another right. one. Um, uh, uh, somebody saying that they make a, a rhubarb gin cocktail. <laughs> well, oh, I've made rhubarb wine um, because that's that's how my family originally used the rhubarb. The rhubarb I have, they're heirloom plants that my great grandparents oh, planted wow. when they first came to Wisconsin in the 1890s, and and my family. That farm has long since been sold and developed. But yeah. my family's been dividing these rhubarb plants up and carrying them around the country ever since. Oh, well, and so th- that's the rhubarb that I have. I love that, that it's heirloom rhubarb from genera- yeah. generations of your family. Uh, that that's right. Somebody sent the recipe in here for this cocktail that you, co- you, uh, you chop up a fennel cube uh, and you combine the fennel and vermouth in a glass container. You cover and chill it for two days, so the the vodka really absorbs that f- nice fennel. It would be kind of a licorice taste, isn't that what fennel fennel yeah, is like a right. licorice taste? Uh, then you take mm-hmm. the rhubarb sugar and water. You gently simmer it until it's pink and slightly syrupy. You put it in a blender with the vermouth. And you combine that. Then later on, you put the lemon juice, some gin, and some ice in a pitcher, and it's supposed to be a delicious summer cocktail. That sounds hmm. like a, sounds like a lot of work to me, to, to be honest with you. But <laughs> yeah, 
but if you have a lot of rhubarb and you don't know where to go with I it, guess. it's another use. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. Uh, Carol, have a great day today, and thank you so much for listening. I love you. some great recipe ideas. Thank you. Okay, thanks. You're welcome. Let me take a quick break, and we'll come right back to the phones and text line. Rhubarb ideas today at 312-981-7200. Dean Richards, Sunday morning. Your rhubarb station in Chicago. Looking for some rhubarb uh, ideas for my Wednesday cooking segment this week. Boy, you guys are coming up with some good ones. Uh, The 708 area code, my folks had a 40-foot hedge, ever-bearing raspberry plants, and eight mature rhubarb plants. Mom would make jams and pies using them both together. Thanks for reminding me of uh, all those good times. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've got a couple of recipes here for rhubarb strawberry jam. Uh, It says here, let's see, 630 area code, mom... Also made rhubarb uh, ketchup. I wonder if it's ketchup. Uh, Mom also made rhubarb kutchen, it said. But I wonder if that should be ketchup with strawberry jello sprinkled on top of it. Kutchen, K-U-C-H-E-N. I don't know what that is unless that's a a misspelling. Uh, Rhubarb sauce is delicious. Very similar to applesauce. Uh, where you cook it down and add some sugar to it. That, I could see where that would be uh, a little uh, tart, tarty, delicious, kind of sweet and sour. I like that idea. Uh, let's see what Gene's got for us. Hi, Gene. You're on WGN. Hello. I love the banter between you two guys. I love Sunday mornings <laughs> with you. you. Thank you. <laughs> um, about rhubarb, my grandmother uh, grandfather grew rhubarb in the backyard but the only thing she did grandma made rhubarb sauce and i think you just mentioned that somebody else did that too like like an applesauce you mean right yes exactly okay uh the other thing is the i believe some researcher or scientist discovered or found that um the rhubarb causes oxalic acid release that applies to any greens at all really one should never boil greens you should just boil the water first turn it off and then dump all your greens in there and let it steam cover it up and let it steam for about 15 minutes maybe it doesn't even take that long but yeah, that that oxalic re- acid is released from all greens that were boiled. So if so I have so if I have like a, a kale or Swiss chard uh, or beets, I, I've I've cooked uh, the greens from beets uh, many times. Uh-huh. Uh, yes. So, so I shouldn't be doing that. I shouldn't be boiling those. Boiling re- releases oxalic acid, uh-huh. and and you should boil the water first. Okay. And then put the, turn the water off after it's at a good boil. I used to dump two big bunches in at the same time. I would cut it up though, so that I could eat it right. uh, easily. Right. Yeah, yeah. Know? That's normally what I do. Is I, I um, well, I, I, I like if I make beets, for example, I'll do the beets. I put the beets right. in, but I take all the stalks, the uh, you know, from the beets and the leaves, right, right. and I cut them up. And yeah. I, but I put them in with the beets. To you know, to cook oh. them, but I think what you're saying is I should do the beets first, boil the water first, then put the beets in, and then once yes. the water is hot, then put the the leaves in, so you're not well, overcooking you, them. What, yeah, once you boil the the beets to the point that you want them cooked, 
the water is probably still boiling. I would put the greens in the last five, ten minutes. Yeah, okay. Not right. even that long. Okay, you know, just to enough. steam, not even to boil. Yeah, I'll give it a try. Yeah, and that oxalic acid does cause the, the kidney stones and the other stones, whatever those stones are. Can't, we can't be getting stoned around here, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your program. I'm so happy that you're staying with us and not leaving the station. Oh, I mean, there would be no reason that you would, but I'm glad you're still around. That's believe very me. nice of you. I really yeah. appreciate it. We've got some really good recipes here, some good ideas for this coming Wednesday. Someone uh, sent a recipe for rhubarb soup. Uh, which has uh, three cups of chopped rhubarb, chicken broth, evaporated milk. Uh, what are some of the other main ingredients here? Celery, carrots, onions, three slices of bacon. Doesn't that sound good? I mean, the combination of all those different flavors in a soup? Hmm, I may be doing that one. Uh, I've got a bunch of recipes here. Here's a, here's a recipe for a rhubarb uh, cobbler. That's, uh, you know, the rhubarb filling is, you know, it's just basically the rhubarb, sugar, some cornstarch, uh, cinnamon, a little vanilla extract with, uh, you know, topping of your choice. Uh, some recipes that I've seen here, they're, they're putting uh, uh, oats, uh, you know, oats on top of it, granola. Uh, some are, are doing the, uh, you know, like biscuit biscuit uh, dough. Uh, so we've got some, some interesting ones here. Rhubarb compote. Uh, sounds absolutely delicious. Uh, oh, somebody somebody answered the question of what kuchen is. K-U-C-H-E-N. Uh, it's a coffee cake. Kuton, apparently, is how it's pronounced. It's German for coffee cake. Oh, thank you. I, n- I never knew that. And and the, the rhubarb would be delicious in a coffee cake, a kuton. Uh, so I will, we all learned a little something here today.